Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 69 of Freight 360. Ben, good morning. We are joined today by special guest Justin Berg, a, another Pittsburgh fellow like yourself with PGT Services. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We like to keep it in the family, man. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting kind of uh, teamed up against here with uh, two Steelers guys against me. But um, for everyone listening, you guys can't see me, but I'm wearing my Buffalo Bills hoodie and my Buffalo Bills AFC East Champions hat right now as we record this. So... Good stuff. Ben's got a purpose behind this, it looks like. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about flatbed freight today. Uh, we're going to, you know, some basic stuff, some more advanced, uh, you know, a little bit of little bit of flatbed discussion for everybody. So if you're brand new, we're going to talk about the, the one-on-one level stuff. But if you've been, you know, brokered for a while, you're seasoned, um, we're going to give you some some insight into what we've seen capacity wise and lately and all that good stuff. So, um, Justin, you with PGT services, obviously you guys are a, uh, you guys are both the PGT is a brokerage and a, uh, carrier, correct? Yeah. So actually PGT services, um, came from PGT trucking. So we're a brokerage services company. Uh, we spun off of PGT trucking, uh, earlier in 2020 actually. Uh, but we're part of PGT Trucking for six years. So uh, our specialty and background is in is in flatbed freight. Uh, obviously, our service uh, portfolio includes uh, refrigerated and dry van truckload, uh, but we have a lot of specialty in the flatbed market, uh, being that we are a spinoff from PGT Trucking, which is you know a 40-year-old P- uh, flatbed organization uh, across the country. So um, kind of a 40,000-foot view, that's who we are and what we do. Love it. Love it. So we're, and we're going to get into all kinds of good stuff flatbed wise. And just to put it out there, Justin is not a, uh, he's not a paid sponsor of Freight 360. We have him on because he is a subject matter expert. And I want to make that very, very clear that everything coming out on today's episode, um, which this is going to drop on New Year's Eve. So happy New Year's, everybody. The last day of 2020, finally. Thankfully, but, uh, dumpster fire of a year that it was. Dumpster fire of a year. Um, but we, we've we tried to have really, really good guests on throughout this year that have been experts in their field. And I think, Justin, you are that person when it comes to flatbed. So um, we, you know, Ben and I had a conversation with you in the last couple of weeks. I learned a lot just on that conversation with you. And I think I will today as well. And hopefully all the listeners can. So, but first we got to get into some quick sports recaps here. So, my Buffalo Bills looking hot right now, just absolutely destroying the Patriots on Monday night. And we'll finish so off this weekend. Finish off this weekend against uh, Miami. Um, I think it's only like a one point spread for some reason when the game. Uh, probably think they're going to probably bench a lot of people, but who knows? You guys, uh, Pittsburgh's got who? You got Cleveland? Yeah, we got Cleveland. Uh, I think we're sitting, I think. Primarily, most of our starters. The last time I checked, I know I know Roethlisberger's sitting. I would imagine there's probably going to be more coming out of that. But I'm actually I, I'm going to be a Bills fan here for a second, just knocking the Patriots out of the playoffs and 
and making sure that they have a losing season and 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 not, not being there again is is sort of enough satisfaction for me this year. Um, so I think guys- I think a lot of people it doesn't matter who your team is. A lot of people are probably Hate just happy to see the Patriots dynasty over. Yes, like I can actually enjoy watching Tom Brady now as a Buccaneer. I just couldn't stand the the Brady Belichick era. It was just it was like, come on, can we change the channel? It was every year over and over. It's kind of easy for me to to, to get behind the Bills, to be honest with you. I mean, growing up, uh, we all sort of grew up in the same time, but you know, in the early '90s uh, when the Steelers weren't very good, my dad and I always kind of watched the Bills. You know, I was a huge Jim Kelly guy. Jim Kelly's from Brady's Bend, Butler area. I mean, he was a he's Western PA guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that group of guys, man, Thurman Thomas and all those dudes, that was awesome. Yeah, oh, rooting yeah. for him against the Cowboys. I mean, every Steeler growing up from the 80s to the 90s hated the Cowboys. Your Our dads likely hated the Cowboys. That went back to the 70s. So when the Bills in the 90s constantly were you know up against the Cowboys I remember watching all those games I can still remember the one they lost where it was BB had that he was going for a touchdown celebrated on like the 10 or 15 yard line and got stripped I was like a Super Bowl game I think so Bills fans typically we don't we don't uh verbally relive the (laughs) the four years of uh of Super Bowl I love losing Super Bowls era is that that one you're talking about we we acknowledge them because the Bills Stadium, which apparently changes names every year now because it went from like Ralph Wilson Stadium to New Era Field to Bills Stadium. So anyway, there's uh it just has the the four AFC champion or either has like the AFC championship things listed on it or like Super Bowl, whatever it was. Obviously not losers, but they're listed on the on the back of the uh, big scoreboard. So when you drive by, you can see it, but. Other than that, we, we really don't talk about it other than people saying just one before I die. That's all we want. Fair enough. So, it's one of the most brutal places to go see a football game. I, I know that much. I mean, I, I, I it's it's fun if you're dressed appropriately. Yeah, I've, I've been to a, to a Steeler game in Buffalo before. It's brutal. I mean, the, yeah. fans, the fans are, are, are definitely energetic for sure. <laughs> Worse and than that's Philly? Cool. I, What's that? I've purposely never gone to Philly. Um, oh, I heard Philly's uh, rough with their fans. I won't, I won't go to Cleveland as a Steeler fan, um, but I did go to Buffalo actually a few years ago. It was, it was an experience for sure. Nice, good stuff. <laughs> All right. Other than that, I did have one other thing. I didn't know if you guys saw this. It popped up on my ESPN feed this morning. Johnny Manziel. He's he's returning to football in this new startup league called the Fan Controlled Football League. Did you guys hear about this? No, I've not. I'm good. I think. I, I didn't really read on it, but <laughs> Johnny football back at it again. I feel like that dude, like just the way he went down with his whole, he was like on a bender in Vegas when he was supposed to be at a game. Oh God. You don't come back from that. Especially no. being a Heisman winner. This is All right. Seven on seven league. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. I feel like none of these leagues ever make it. but XFL. Know. Well, The Rock ended up buying an XFL, right? Is that what it was? Oh, I think I no he did, yeah. I didn't know it still existed. Or who, What's the one that they had last year that shut down? XFL, right? Yeah, that was the XFL. Again. And then it shut down. And then I'm pretty sure The Rock bought, bought it and is going to try to relaunch it next year. There's a lot of people that think that COVID actually had a lot to do with it shutting down because they didn't actually get to finish the season. 
Oh yeah, I agree. Hundred percent, I agree. They probably just didn't have any money. I actually they probably ran out of funds. I watched it, and I actually didn't think it was too bad. I I watched some of the games. I was I was I was intrigued. Yeah, I like the concept of it too, because they basically treated it as like a. It's like indoor soccer. Yeah. It's like a feeder program to the NFL too. I was right? gonna say more like a like a farming system. Yeah. So. All right, let's, let's talk freight anyway. <laughs> uh, so it's the end of 2020. Happy New Year's, everybody. Hopefully you're still with us after that uh, extended long intro on, on sports and, and good stuff. So flatbed. So uh, I would say out of the, you know, the three, I would say the probably the three big equipment types in freight that we see are flatbed, drive van, and reefer. So Flatbed, we really haven't dug too deep into Ben on an episode. That's why we wanted to to bring Justin on and do this. So, and I think that's where we should kind of go with this. Is we use, and I just realized this, like we used flatbed as the title, but in all yep. honesty, it's open deck. And I think let's clarify what the different types of open deck are, why there are different types, why that yeah. matters. And I mean, who better to ask than Justin? You want to run us through the difference between you know RGN step decks and flatbeds and yeah, why sure. we tend to see different types. Uh, yeah, I mean, your typical flatbed trailer, uh, the ones that most people are familiar with, you know, your your open deck, as you mentioned, there's two different types typically. There's a 48-foot and a 53-foot flatbed, 48-foot um, being the most standard. 53-footers uh, out there from a capacity standpoint are probably a little less popular. Um, not as many guys carry 53-footers, so they're sort of a premium. Uh, but most trailers that are 48 foot, it's what you mostly see out there, haul uh, up to 48,000 pounds for the most for the most point. Um, steel coils, lumber, pipe, different things of that nature can be hauled on a standard flatbed. Um, moving forward from that, um, I would say you're probably your, your, your most second popular type of trailer would be a step deck trailer. Um, and basically what a step deck trailer is, it's not much different than a regular flatbed other than the fact that it goes down to a lower second level. Um, the reason for that is it, it, it assists in um, hauling what we would, we would call probably taller, taller type commodities. So larger steel coils, or um, let's say it's uh, something 10 foot for that, for that matter. So it helps to uh, get taller freight under areas like overpasses, bridges, things of that nature. Uh, I think what we can do too is uh, we'll we'll try to get together like a visual. We'll throw a bunch of different flatbed infographic we can throw. Yeah, that'll show and we'll put it on the site because this is good. This is good stuff, especially for folks that are newer that don't understand the different uh, trailer types. Yeah, without that, Justin, I mean, so you have the clearance that the step deck allows you, but you also have the ability to load things a little differently because of the height off the ground. So, you know, whether it's a loading dock or whether they're forklifted loaded, that's going to come into play and in why you would use a step deck over a flatbed. Flatbeds, same height. You only have the certain amount you can go up before you need permits. The step deck allows you to load some taller things, like Justin said, overpasses, bridges, when your routing guides go through the city, that's going to allow you some of those things. What are some of the other types that you see we want to outline here? Yeah, I think the next most popular, I mean, is you have, you know, when you're looking at Overdimensional. you're looking at large freight, 150,000 pound moves, very large moves. Um, a lot of carriers uh, pull what they call RGN, 
or uh, gooseneck trailers. Okay. Removable goosenecks. Yeah. Removable goosenecks. Um, actually some of these can go up to 150,000 pounds. Um, you'll see these out on the road hauling, uh, very large types of, uh, I've seen tanks, you know, uh, carried on RGNs, large types of equipment, um, bulldozers, things of that nature that are. Yeah. When I think of this, I think skid loaders, I think backhoes. If you're driving past a construction site, you always see these, they have like the big hitch that like goes into the back of the truck that literally looks like a big arm and they're very low to the ground in the back, which allows the treads, you know, on like a backhoe or a, you know, like you said, a bulldozer, they can usually just drive them right onto it. And they make them in a lot longer too. Like if you're doing some big overweight stuff, I've seen like, I think 14 axles is the biggest I've ever seen. Is that what they go up to? Yeah. And that's true. And that, that's a, that's a good point, Ben, because typically with the, with a flatbed trailer, what, um, what makes it uh, ability to move more weight is how many axles it has. So I think they go from uh, three axles up to 15. I think something in that. That is wild. Yeah. So that's what, that's what obviously gives it the ability to move higher weights um, is, is the amount of axles on the trailer. So, And why is that, right? Because I think we should clarify, there are specific weight requirements for the roads and bridges. So if there's a whole lot of weight over one axle, that means all that weight is literally on two tires or four tires, right? 20, 20K per axle, is that what it is? I to think be legal? Somewhere, yeah, I think that is what it is. Yeah. So when you've got these loads, like Justin pointed out, that are huge, like these overdimensional, you'll see them down the highways occasionally with pilot cars in the front and the back. And those larger trailers actually have, aren't, isn't there like an axle in the middle that allows it to turn differently too, like those big 15 axles? Yeah, there's actually, I've seen those too. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, but have you ever seen um, for like windmills? Oh yeah. Yep. It's the, the extended trailer with the dolly on the back. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's somebody else in that truck that's actually steering the back dolly. That I have seen that. That's why. Yeah, that's crazy. So those are those are pretty complex um, types of trailers, and, and that, I, I kind of group that all into one. It's very specialized. Yep. Um, you're looking at overdimensional and specialized freight. Um, you really got to have no people that that know what they're talking about. Um, yes. Because as as Ben mentioned, uh, you're talking about permits. Uh, permits are different in, in every state. So typically when you're moving that type of cargo across state lines or multiple state lines, you're looking at uh, different permits um, that need to be uh, purchased and researched, um, routes that need to be researched. So um, a lot of companies, including us, we actually have specialists um, in moving that type of freight uh, because it is very it is very specific and very detailed. Um, so a lot to of- that. Right. Like as a broker, ever all most of our listeners, right, are brokers getting into the brokerage or even senior brokers. If you've got customers with these needs, your carriers are your best friend here, right? All of the information, anything that I've learned and anybody else, they've likely learned from the carrier, right? Like best advice I ever got when I started looking at moving some of these, you got a weird request from a customer. You're like, I didn't even know you could ship something this big. My first calls are going to be to the the carriers like PGT, right? Somebody that has the tenure, they've been in business long enough and rely on them and ask them a lot of questions because that's where you're going to get this information. They do this all day long. Like some of those big trailers, I was amazed to find that like 
a half dozen people in the country pretty much know where all those are at all the time because there's not that many of them. And there's not that things that are that big that move that much. And like, I talked to a guy in California, he gave me like four other people in the other parts of the country. He's like, look, I know the waiting list on most of these called Jimmy here, called Joey over here. And pretty soon a couple of phone calls, you got a pretty good handle on like what happens, what you need. And you can learn a ton from these guys. Yeah. One thing, you know, for for tip you know for somebody that's starting up in brokerage or it's, it's learning brokers and, and, and wants to to get in flatbed space, um, make sure that uh, when talking to customers about overdimensional and, and projects of this nature that um, there's there's enough time to research how long it actually takes because in many cases it's 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 months to be able to move projects of this nature. Um, there's a lot that goes into being able to map out routes and get permits. Uh, and like Ben said, with the availability of this type of equipment that's out there, it actually has to be scheduled uh, in, in many cases way ahead of time. So that would be my advice if, if you know, for anybody getting into this um, to make sure that you give yourself the, the proper amount of time and research before you, you know, dive into this type of in, type of this type of flatbed. So I'm curious then when it, so that's obviously your more specialized type of, of flatbed. So let's look at the basic, your 48 foot flatbed, not overweight, not overdimensional, nothing like that, just standard, um, regular shipments, all, all legal. How different is this from, for a broker than if they're just moving uh, dry van freight? So, it, I mean, what kind of, what kind of things are different? What, you know, when it comes to the knowledge of the freight and the equipment, when talking with a customer or prospect, how different is it really than dealing with just dry van freight? Well, first and foremost, it's, it's the commodities and different commodities need to be secured in different manners and need to be treated differently. You know, the questions you have to ask a customer are, A, what is the product? What's it weigh? Things of that nature. Is it steel coils? Is it pipe? Is it lumber? Uh, is it, uh, you know, is it, is it wallboard? Um, all different types of commodities that can be moved via flatbed. Um, does it need tarped? Does it not need tarped? They need four foot tarps, six foot tarps, eight foot tarps, boat tarps, drop tarps. Um, and then you really need to look at securement. You know, securement becomes extremely important. Um, a lot of what we do here at PGT Services and, and, and what we've done in the past uh, as PGT Trucking is we've moved a lot of steel. Um, we've moved a lot of steel. We're, we're very versed in, in moving steel. We've moved, you know, 47,000 pound coils. We've moved 65,000 pound coils. It's extremely important to know uh, the ins and outs of how to secure a coil. Um, you know, what suicide is, what eye of the sky is, what all those different types of things mean. So let's stop there. And I'd like you to clarify, because I think that's going to be great for our listeners, is let's walk through what suicide means, what eye of the sky is. So a coil, right? And if you've seen it, it sounds like what it is. It's usually very, very thin steel that is rolled and becomes a very, it looks like a big donut, right? Like or a big giant roll of tape with a little hole in the middle, right? Walk through. I was going to go with toilet paper, but. <laughs> Same thing. Okay. Yeah. For 2020, <laughs> that's probably a better, better analogy, but. Yeah. So, I mean, walk through like what's needed, what a coil rack is, walk them through the different types of loading and what these terms mean. So, yeah, I mean, a suicide coil, when, it, when, it, when a when coil is loaded on a flatbed, it's suicide. And, and keep in mind, most coils are loaded with a crane. Um, obviously, being that heavy, that that is how a coil is loaded onto a truck. Um, and then suicide basically means uh, the hole in the middle, as Ben was talking about a donut, 
the whole face is sideways. Okay, so off the trailer. So it's facing the sides of the trailer. And the reason it's called suicide, it's probably not the nicest term, but the reason it's called suicide is because think about a, a donut rolling, okay? It puts the coil in a position where it could roll right through the back of the truck, okay? So that's why it's called quote unquote suicide because it's putting the driver, A, the driver in a very peculiar situation, and B, it's also putting anyone on the road behind the truck in a very peculiar situation because if that coil were not properly secured um, and there was a hard stop, that coil could go through the cab of the truck or um, in a situation where the coil was not properly secured, it could roll off the back of the truck and cause uh, obviously major in injury to, to a lot of people. Um, so that's sort of why we call it suicide, right? And when you think about this, right, like even a large truck on the road, like an Escalade, right, only weighs about six, 7,000 pounds. You're talking about a 40,000 pound coil, right? Like it weighs five, six times the biggest vehicle you're going to see on the road, right? So like, it's a big risk. Whenever I see, whenever I see a flatbed that has some stuff secured that looks like it, like, for example, a coil that's loaded suicide, I just think about that scene from final destination two where they've got all the logs and they yeah, come I was literally thinking off. that as he was saying i was like i wonder if there's a movie with a steel coil the same as the logs from that movie because <laughs> it leaves an impression man but so the blocking and bracing i think is a huge point so i remember and this is this is on the military side so um yeah, i was deployed about six years ago and we were we were driving a small convoy of folks from a training area back to the main base and we had a trailer of something loaded on a flatbed and, Oh no, it was, I'm sorry. We had a forklift, like a, one of those all terrain forklifts that kind of that rotates in the middle, bends in the middle. And it was loaded up on a flatbed and uh, chained and strapped down. But I always like, I had everyone stop and get out and recheck and secure because I saw them hitting a bump and a turn and that thing's bouncing around. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. It's like, this is like, this is very, very important to make sure that um, things are properly loaded and braced down because you think about what could happen that final destination two scenario. If something comes loose and falls off, you're not just talking about damage. You're talking about like mass, massive casualties potentially with something as heavy as a steel coil rolling down. So I think there's a, a lot to be said that goes into the training and understanding of um, the, the bracing techniques, even at the broker level, you're not the one with your hands on doing it, but to have some time. And I think Justin, you said you're, your folks spend time with the operations people learning hands-on, right? Before they yeah, broker this stuff. Absolutely. I mean, we take, well, you know, one thing we take extremely seriously from a flatbed perspective and, and everyone should is, is safety and understanding um, what it takes. And we actually put our, our folks, our operations folks through the same processes of our drivers. Um, so when we hire somebody to come on um, as a carrier representative, carry capacity representative for us, a sales representative for us, an account manager for us. We actually put them through our driver training at one of our um, facilities, uh, at PGT Trucking's facilities. Um, put them through the process. Actually, put them on the back of a flatbed, teach them how to how to um, how to uh, you know chain down a coil. Uh, we teach them what coil racks are. We teach them what plastic edge protectors are. Um, we teach them what straps are what type of freight we use straps versus what type of freight we use coil um, chains, things of that nature. So 
they go through a pretty rigorous process of about three days um, at one of our driver facilities, hanging out with drivers, talking to drivers, learning the same things that they do um, before we ever put them in a situation where they could be responsible for um, a procuring a carrier for a 48,000 pound coil that has to load suicide or shotgun as we, as another name we can call it. Um, and, and making sure that they understand uh, what goes into that and the importance of doing it the correct way and having those conversations with our carrier partners. So, I think one of the, and I think a, a good tip here for whether you're a new broker or you, you run a brokerage or an agency, whatever, get these new folks. If you have an asset division, get these new folks over to that asset side to be able to see hands-on. Or if you don't have an asset side, get with one of your larger carriers if you can. And that hands-on time to be able to, to be able to walk around, not just kick a tire, but actually see the equipment, see something get loaded, understand how the little, little nuances happen and um, all that good stuff. I think that's huge because otherwise you just see a picture in a training you know, situation and then you're trying to broker freight. So I think that hands-on time is going to be extremely beneficial. I love that you guys do that. And that's the value add, right? Like that's what we talk about. We talked, we did an episode on niches, right? We talked about how a broker can add that value. This is how these guys at PGT do this, right? It's understanding this because the people you're prospecting, the shippers, or especially if you're talking to a guy at the loading dock, that's what they're concerned with. This is what they see all day. Like this is a big risk to these guys. When you talk about loading these coils, you know, PP&E and the safety protocol around this, they want to work with people that know that so that they know, like Justin said, they've got the right equipment coming in, but also they're conveying the information to somebody knows why this is important, right? Not just a line item on a BOL, like why these things matter, because that's the value you're going to be able to add as a broker. And I don't want to say that's how you're able to charge more, but that's how you're able to find that niche. That's how you're able to, you know, stand out amongst your peers, right? Which is, I'm sure a lot of how PGT has had success in their brokerage in the first, you know, few years. No, it's, it's a very good point. And I think the simplest way to say that is be a resource, right? Be a resource to your customer um, and, and, and provide a value through knowledge um, you know, flatbed is, is specialized. It's a specialized, it's a specialized freight. It's, it's specialized industry. Um, you know, and you can provide value to your customers in multiple different ways. And by knowing exactly what it takes to move this type of freight, um, you know, I've spent time on site of customers having them ask me questions of why do we have damage on our, on our commodity? And we've gone out and we've had conversations about, you know, how they're securing the freight, different things that they can do in securing their freight to provide them opportunities for cost savings and damage, um, you know, on the truck. Things that weren't the carrier's fault. It was just improvements they can make from a standpoint of loading the truck and how it was, how it was loaded. And those are the type of things and the value you can bring to your customer outside of just saying, hey, I got a truck. I can move your freight from point A to point B. So become a student of the game, become a student of what flatbed is, understand all the, uh, the intricacies of it, um, all the things that go into it. And it really makes you and sets you apart um, from, from those out there who are just trying to move the truck from point A to point B. Um, it's really an opportunity to become uh, a solution and, and become a resource for your customer. I love that. And uh, I know we talked about getting with carriers in person, but one of the things that I did in the past is, we had a, an agent that had a uh, prospective company that they were prospecting as a customer and they were, they happened to be regional to us. 
So myself and another guy at the brokerage, we actually went down and to the customer, met with them, got to see the freight being loaded up on the flatbeds to see how it's all done. So we had perfect understanding of what, how it had to be done, what their expectations were, the whole process from, from A to B, and then you can go or from A to Z, and then you can go sit down and talk through business afterward. But having that visual hands-on, and if your customer is not regional to you, ask for pictures, videos, anything you can do, like you said, become a student of the game. I think that's huge. And that's, that is what's going to set good brokers apart from those that are just chasing the next load to get covered. And I don't think there's anything a customer appreciates more than when you devote your time to go to their site um, and, and really spend time understanding uh, what their problems is, what their product is, and, and making sure that um, before you do business together, A, that they, they know that it's important for you to make sure that you're doing things the safest way. Um, you understand their facilities. You understand what your carriers are going to have to go through when going into their facilities to load their product. Customers like that stuff. And it's, it's important to spend that time uh, with your customers and also with your carriers. You know, one thing that we do with our carriers um, that I think is also valuable and important is, uh, especially in the flatbed world, we, we provide our carrier partners with very detailed SOPs uh, for our different customers uh, around what type of freight that customer is moving, how it should probably be properly be secured, and our expectations um, and, and at the end of the day, that's for them to provide the safest situation for them. It's to provide the safest situation for the customer, gives the customer peace of mind. And it also gives the carrier peace of mind knowing um, that we care about their safety. We care about their ability to execute um, the product and get it from point A to point B. And, and ultimately what they want to do is get paid for a load and they want to do it safely. And also they want to do it without having damage claims at the end of the day. So yeah. Going, going through that detail, um, they appreciate the carriers appreciate that too. Um, when you're providing them with good information that allows them to do their job the best that they possibly can, keep their drivers safe, um, and also take care of their equipment, right? Um, that's big for carriers, you know, especially in the flatbed industry, um, hauling the type of stuff that we haul, haul um, you know, equipment can get banged up. So these guys appreciate that stuff. They appreciate that extra effort and helping them to do their job to the fullest as well. And I think claims is a, is a big one. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to short little anecdote here, then we can talk a little bit about claims, but I remember I was shipping coils out to, they were going to cores. So when you think super, super like thin gauge aluminum, think beer can, right? Well, they were paying huge, huge margins on these. I remember the rates they were offering these loads were really high. And I was working with a flatbed carrier at the time and I was asking them, I was like, you know, just really trying to understand the freight, get my arms around it. And there were some really odd requirements in regards to securing the coils. Like there was like four levels of protection that went on them before they got hauled, like plastic, foam, I think cardboard, another plastic and another layer of foam. And I was asking the carrier, I said, you know, how common is this? Why is this? And the first carrier, and it was one that I worked a lot with, he had said, well, here's the deal with these. One, there is huge claim percentages on these. He's like, imagine a beer can and you're driving down the road 70 miles an hour and a rock 70 miles an hour hits a beer can. It'll blow a hole through it, right? Well, imagine that coil and that thin of a gauge. If a rock hits it, it ruins like sometimes like hundreds of yards of steel because it goes through that gauge into the steel. 
And the, the driver I had had, like there was a hailstorm going through Detroit. So you had to pull under an underpass. And even with all those layers, we still had a small claim on it. And when you work with the shipper through those issues, you find out like, that's why these things are that important. It's a huge cost. Somebody has to pay for it. They're willing to pay higher margins because if you can reduce that cost for them, it's overall cheaper, right? Just like I'm sure you guys see, like when you do a better job, that value that you feel you're scared to charge your shipper, guess what? They don't have an issue paying it if you are saving them money by understanding these things, right? So, and I kind of wanted you to shed some light on that. Or what are some of the common claims you see? Um, what are some of the things that you do to try to avoid them as a carrier or even as a broker? Yeah, that's a good question. And you actually brought up a really interesting commodity when you talk about aluminum. Um, you talk about the difference between steel coils and aluminum coils, a huge difference. And a lot of that is the reason what you spoke about. But I would say aluminum coils is one of the largest um, commodities that you see, that you see that type of damage with. And one of the biggest things I think a lot of brokers do, or a lot of those that don't, you know, maybe have quite the knowledge they need is, you know, a steel coil, you, you strap, you, you secure with chains, mm -hmm. right? Well, you, people think aluminum coil, okay, well, I secure that with chains too. No, you don't. Um, because that metal on that aluminum wax will destroy that aluminum coil. So in most cases, aluminum coils are strapped down with straps. I mean, they're secured with straps. Um, just like with a, with a steel coil, you can use steel edge protect protectors, which let me clarify what an edge protector is. Uh, when you're, when you're chaining down a coil or the, where the, where the chain goes over the steel, um, through the eye of the, of the coil, um, the edge protector you put on the edge of the coil to protect it from getting scratched, dented, damaged. Um, when you're hauling aluminum, uh, aluminum coils for that for that matter, you use plastic edge protectors. So the steel edge protector would scratch the aluminum, the, the plastic edge protector would not. Okay, so talk about intricate things. Those are two pretty intricate details to to probably somebody that that doesn't know much about flatbed. But and guess what? Right. Not every flatbed driver is driving around with both. Not Correct. every flatbed driver has the ability to just go, oh, it's aluminum. Grab this stuff out. Like this is the stuff you've got to ask your shipper before you book the carrier so you can confirm before they go there that they have the correct materials to secure the coil. Absolutely. A lot of carriers don't haul aluminum for the mm -hmm. same reason. Um, a lot of, you know, you also look in, in the flatbed market, a lot of carriers are, um, specialist in what they haul, you know, a lot of, a lot of steel coil carriers don't haul, uh, wall a lot yeah. of wall board carriers don't haul steel coils. Um, you'll notice that in, in, in the industry, a lot of, you know, carriers that haul steel or pipe, um, many of them only haul pipe and many of them only haul steel coils. So, um, to, to Ben's point, asking the customer the details of what the commodity is, is A, extremely important. I mean, I, I can't express that enough. And B, uh, when matching capacity to your customer's freight, you need to make sure that you're asking the carriers the right questions. Uh, and what one of those is, is, is can you, do you have the, the ability and the equipment to haul this type of commodity? Um, and look, carriers don't want to waste their time, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they're not going to tell you that they can haul something they can't because they end up showing up at the shipper, right? They sit there for, you know, in these days, however long that is, hopefully less than two hours, right? And then they find out that uh, they can't haul the, the, the commodity because they don't have the right equipment. Um, so having that open communication between your customer and your carrier, it helps to eliminate, you know, these, these types of damages. 
Um, you know, another thing is, is, is pipe. Hauling pipe is, is, a, is a specialized commodity. You really have to understand what you're doing. And, and it also can be highly damageable. Uh, there can be a lot of claims with pipes. Um, and then when it comes down to just tarps, guys, I mean, if, if, if uh, your customer, ask your customer, does this coil require tarps? Does this pipe require tarps? And length of tarp, right? A four is different than a six, is different than an eight, is different than a 12. And if you don't ask your carrier, the likelihood they carry all of those is very slim. And, and I think we, I want to cover that too, because I've shipped a lot of pipe and that was how I kind of made my name in the flatbed market was just learning these things, right? So for one, you need to know if your shipper is going to require a headache rack, which to Justin's earlier point, like suicide loaded coils that look like they could roll right over the cab. Well, think about pipe, right? If you've got pipe loaded behind your cab and you slammed on the brakes, you've got a bunch of projectile missiles basically that can go right through the back of that cab, right? And you're sure you can find an image. You just- Oh, they're all over the internet. Yeah. And I had an instance actually, fortunately, it wasn't it wasn't one of my carriers. But it's funny that you bring that up because this is probably about five months ago. Um, saw an experience with a carrier where uh, a driver in front of them, um, unfortunately, you know, cut in front, and, and the carrier had to uh, the truck had to make a hard stop. Um, was hauling some pyramid pipe. Pyramid pipe is basically exactly what it sounds like when you're hauling pipe. You know, it's 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 stacked in a pyramid style. Um, and two of those uh, pipes went right through the back of the truck and actually missed the driver's head by about six inches. Oh. Um, went through the back of the truck and came all the way out the front of the truck like like a missile um, and probably landed about 12 feet in front of the – it was about 12 feet before it landed on the ground. So, um, And that was not, that was not a, uh, a feathery, light piece of pipe. So – um, it's a bad day right there. That's a lot of yeah, paperwork. Yeah, and that's, that's a guy got out of his truck and, thank, and was thankful that he was still alive. So, oh, you know, the, the I thing imagine, that, like literally getting out of the truck and probably literally yeah. saying a prayer. Yeah. Like I can't yeah. imagine looking to the left of me and seeing the hole and this pipe just laying out in the front uh, of the, on, the, on the road. Like, look, at, I mean, there's nothing, you know, one thing I hope that comes out of this, this podcast and this discussion more than anything for is, is to understand the importance of these things and, and how important it is to have this knowledge and these conversations with your customers and your drivers to make sure that um, everyone is on the same page with the experience and the ability to, to properly handle this type of commodity. Because at the end of the day, not to sound dark, but it can cost lives and it has cost lives before. Um, and that's not something that, that any of us um, that want to be a part of, obviously. So, um, it, it really is important to understand these different types of commodities and, and, and how to secure them and, and how to manage them when out in the road. Love it. So I want to, I want to try and before we get into our Q and A, I wanted to hit on one more topic. There's so many good things that we could talk about with flatbed, but um, might have to do another, maybe, maybe do another episode on this one to really dig into it. But I'm curious when it comes to the flatbed market, um, do you have any insight into percentage of equipment that is flatbed versus everything else? Is it, you know, a large, and then on top of that, the second part is what have you, so what will affect capacity and for flatbed throughout the year or in different seasons? So size of the market and then what affects it? Yeah, I I think that's actually a really good question. Um, First, I would say, and I, I don't have an exact number. So um, but I, I would say probably when you're looking at drive in to flatbed, I would say 
Um, the availability of capacity out there is probably, um, you know, I would say in, in the markets, it's 20% flatbed and 80% drive I mean, refrigerated and kind of mar- glue those into to two. I always, yeah, I always saw it was kind of probably around a third or less. So that, that sounds right. And I, I haven't looked it up. So that's why I was curious if you had Something any insight. that nature. But at the end of the day, it, it also depends on markets. I mean, you know, flatbed from a driver perspective is it's not um, – it's not, uh, it's not roses, right? I mean, these guys are working in, in 95 degree heat. They're working in, you know, minus 10 degree freezing cold temperatures on the back of trucks, um, securing coils, securing freight. Um, it's definitely not glorious. Um, and in many cases, you know, in today's market with, with drive and refrigerated, many of those instances are dropping hook today, right? So, um, in a market that's already, you know, sort of uh, very constricted by drivers, you know, we have driver shortage issues, which we've been talking about for the past five, six years. Um, that problem only continues to, to get worse. Um, I can tell you from my experiences with PGT Trucking and our asset company, um, driver shortage is real and, and getting quality drivers and experienced drivers is, is, issue, is an issue out in the market. So, that goes across the whole entire industry. I mean, you can see out there that um, a lot of companies right now are uh, doing everything they can to retain drivers with pay increases. They're doing everything they can to bring in and attract new drivers with these pay increases. Um, but I think right now we we're, we're in a we're in a situation where a lot of our older truck drivers are are getting out of the game. They're either a retiring or moving on to something else. Um, and then you add all those different things and you say, okay, come drive a flatbed. And you ask, you ask gentlemen or, or ladies for that matter, because women in trucking is, is something that is becoming much more popular, mm-hmm. um, which is great. There's a lot of female drivers out there. There's a lot of females getting into the industry and being extremely successful in this industry, also in the brokerage industry as well. Um, but you're asking them then to get on the back of a truck and, and chain down coils in 100 degree heat, like I was talking about, or throw eight foot tarps for that matter, which is not an easy thing to not do. Not exactly a white collar job. No, it's not. <laughs> um, so, so you look at driver availability uh, in a market right now, it's, it's tough. So flatbed capacity right now is, is, is a challenge. It's a challenge for brokers. It's a challenge for shippers. Um, and in, in, a lot of the drivers are that because a the, the drive-in market is very popular right now. It's very tight right now. There's there's a lot of money being made in the drive-in market. Um, if I'm a new driver right now and the market is the way it is and the amount of freight out there is the way it is, I'm probably going to choose to get in a drive-in and, and maybe drop and hook or you know kind of back my trailer in and have it loaded and sort of pull away. And um, so those are the different you know challenges that you that you have when you're a flatbed organization or a flatbed broker. Um, and that's what a lot of the shippers out there face. So when talking to your customers, these are real issues um, and real discussions to have with your customers. And, and, and more, more now than ever, I truly believe going into 2021 is having the proper relationships uh, and brokerage strategies uh, when you are a flatbed shipper um, and understanding uh, what companies are going the extra mile to secure the right type of capacity to know how to effectively move your freight. Um, and, and I think 2021 is going to be proved to, to be a pretty, pretty interesting year um, from a flatbed perspective um, with the shortened capacity. And look, 
driver schools, guys. I don't know if, but CDL schools have 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 diminished this year because of COVID. Many of them. That's have a very gone, good point. Yeah, many of them have gone out of business. Many of them have closed up shop. Okay, so that's all. That's only adding to the issues that we have yep. um, in driver availability. So um, it's 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 an interesting market right now. And I honestly, man, I could go. For, I could talk for an hour and a half on just this market and the different things that are going on out there, but. Um, you know, from our perspective, it's a, it's a great time to be in this business. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to, to, to provide solutions to customers um, and partner with, with customers out there uh, who are looking for a partner in this business to, to, to provide the capacity and the reliability that they're looking for, because there are questions that need answer going into 2021. I think the, the biggest takeaway there before we hit Q&A here is um, kind of what you had brought up is diff- different things that affect the market. So just that alone can help a customer understand why c- the availability of a truck and the rates are the way that they are. And Ben, you and I have preached it is have the conversation Man. with the customer, educate them, just tell them why, right? A price increase without a reason doesn't make sense. And they're going to want to know why, why is it, you know, why is it different than last month? So that's a good point. All right, let's get into Q and I got three questions here. And I think each one of us can actually take one. So I'll, the the first one here, this actually came from uh, TJ on LinkedIn, who's a listener of ours. He asked, um, it was a little bit longer of a question, but he, in a nutshell, he asked, how can a broker or an agent transition their book of business if they want to retire or get out of the, basically get out of the game? Um, and I, I gave him a brief synopsis, but I wanted to hit on it really quick. And I'm curious what you guys think. Um, I, I've seen this done a handful of times. I've helped a couple of guys do it myself. I've seen a couple of people that have failed at doing it. Um, so what doesn't work is to try and just sell your book because all you're doing is selling a list of customers who have no idea who the hell this new person is. Um, what I have seen work is to slowly introduce a new rep over time and make sure that customer understands your long-term goal and can build a level of trust and confidence in that new rep. And then on the back end, um, for compensation, what we have then, what I've helped people do is set up a um, basically a, a trailing commission that would step down over maybe three to five years. So they were still compensated on that um, on their book of business as it was transitioned over to the new agent or the new rep or whatever it was. Um, so that's in a nutshell, that's what I've seen work. Don't just try to sell your book. It's not going to work. People are, people will say, I want, you know, three to five times my annual gross profit for my book. It's like the, the, the new their customers have no idea who the new guy is. So they're not going to, you can't just say, Oh, I, I'm taking over your account. No, you're not. So. Yeah. I'm working through, I have a client actually, I'm working through this right now. Um, not in this industry. I've worked with a couple other people in this industry to do this. Um, so you can just technically that's still the sale of your book. It's just not a transactional sale. Like right. everyone I've ever seen is the work on the front end. You've got to find either a mentee or somebody that is a good fit to work with your customers. So there's the interview aspect of making sure the person you're going to sell it and transition to is the right fit. And then over a period of time, whatever that is, slowly introducing your customers to that person the same way you would scale yourself out of it if you were going to go do something else within the company. And then usually that number is kind of determined on the front end of a multiple of one and a half to two and a half. And over like Nate said, a period of two or three or four years, that commission scale pays out that amount of money to the person retiring. 
Yeah, there's a lot of creative ways to do it. The 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 takeaway is it takes time and I think you have to do it slow and smooth versus try to be rapid about it. So good stuff. Uh, ben, I'm gonna let you take the next question here. This this one uh, came from Reddit. It says, this is a broker asking, how can I book a carrier if I haven't built up enough credit worthiness yet? So they're a new broker, just got their authority. Um, what kind of tips would you give someone that is having carriers tell them, I don't want to haul for you? I'd actually want to hear Justin's position on this because Justin has spent a lot of time in assets. What do you look for when you got a broker that's new to the industry? What are some things that would make you be more inclined to take loads from them if they don't have a lot of history? I think a, a something has to do with their, it has to do with their customer base or who the customer is that they're working with. I think point. If it's a reliable customer and the customer has chosen to do business with that agent. I think that's a good sign, right? I think that's, that, that puts up a, a green light for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that um, from a carrier, I'll do, you know, from a, from an asset perspective, and I, I sort of run this back and forth as, as running a brokerage too. I think, um, if they're, if, if they're strategic in their carrier selection, if they're knowledgeable in the commodity that they're, that they're moving or operating, um, I also, I think that's a green light as well. So I think it's more, um, you know, what value, what value are you bringing to the carrier? How are you positioning it to the, to the carrier? Um, how are you positioning your business and your customer to your carrier base? And I think that will, at the end of the day, give you uh, a leg up and in, in potentially getting more capacity support uh, from carriers, even though you're younger in the business. Look, everybody has credit issues, right? So it's, I think it's, it's an honesty. It's a conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's also making sure that you're having conversations with the right individuals at your carrier. Um, making sure that you're not afraid to reach out to some higher contacts at that carrier, whether it's a five, you know, a five truck carrier or a, a, a 75 truck carrier, um, making sure that you're not hesitant in reaching out to somebody of higher stature within that organization to have a conversation, letting them know how interested you are in utilizing them as a support system to your business and talking strategic with them and getting the support of that operations director, or for that matter, the president or owner of the company. Right. It's a sale. Like it's a sale at the end of the day. That's why they call it carrier sales. And I think the only other thing that I would add there is I I would ask for some other carrier testimonials maybe, or some references you can also use. But I mean, the way I literally would approach this when I would do it is, is I'm going to be selling them on why they should want to work with me to Justin's point. Like might be like, Hey, look, I just secured, you know, some loads with Alcoa, big name shipper, whoever that is. And yeah, I need you to haul this load, but I'm always aligning the bigger picture with that carrier too. Like, yeah, I need you to haul this load, but this is what I've got coming down the pipe. Like I got another probably 25 loads next month, selling them on the opportunity to work with you over the long term, not just the transactional basis. Those are going to be some more cues to that carrier that you're reliable, that your long-term vision's there. You're not just somebody trying to turn and burn a load to run to the next one and not pay attention. Those are the big flags they're looking for. The the only thing I would add is... uh and this is more to, I would say, sweeten the deal or kind of give them a, a help them out is offer maybe a, a free quick pay or yeah. waive any fees on a fuel advance or something like that. It's just kind of some way to show that, yeah, obviously you're worried about my credit because I have to pay you, 
but what if I pay you half upon um, pickup as a fuel advance with no fee attached to it? And then the rest, you know, 24 hours upon delivery. That's how you can build up a reputation. And yes, there's cash flow issues that come along with that. And it's going to cost you some some money if you're factoring it. But th- those are the challenges that new brokers are going to have is to establish that carrier base. Um, good question. All right. Last one, Justin, this is for you. Someone asked, I need to move. Th- I found this in a flatbed shipper shipping group on Reddit that blew my mind. Someone said, I have to move a 10 foot log. Do shorter flatbeds exist? Cause the guy was saying he couldn't fit it in a pickup truck. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can get some customer leads off that Reddit uh, thread that I was in, but is there a shorter flatbeds out there? That's actually an interesting question. I mean, there are there are some twenty foot sort of just hot shots. Hot I was shot. gonna say hot shot is what I think about is a flatbed behind like a you know F two fifty yeah. or three. Another, another thing that another thing that some customers do and, and a lot of people don't realize is that there is less than truckload flatbed. Yep. Okay. So that's another option. I mean, a lot of anything that's typically under ten foot or uh, under ten foot or under twenty thousand pounds can be. Uh, considered for an LTL on a flatbed. Some carriers will haul. Uh, you saying like a partial? Yeah. Oh, okay. Car- I was like, you're telling me they got 28 foot flatbed pups rolling around there? Yeah, I think about my LTL days when I worked for Conway. Flat, and some carriers will haul, um, you know, multiple loads, two loads on one flatbed. Yeah. Um, they are actually able to do a pretty good job from the, from the financial perspective in doing that and actually saves the customer some money. So, yeah, uh, there are a couple of options out there to make that happen. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, the the flatbed with the with the LTL and and also the uh, the hotshot. So yeah, I didn't my because my first thought when I read that question was I went right to hotshot. I never thought about the partial. Um, that's that's good, good stuff. Well, cool. Uh, any any final thoughts around the uh, around the horn here? What we're gonna do too is we're gonna we're gonna put Justin's contact info and PGT's info in the show notes, um, as well as we'll get a like a little infographic that shows equipment types, and we'll toss up on the website hopefully in the next week or so for anyone who uh, who wants to have a visual on what an RGM looks like versus a double drop or, you know, a step deck. And And the dimensions are important. I think that's going to help you too. And we'll keep it up there, you know, on our website. So you can see when you're talking to your shipper and they say, I don't know what equipment type I need, but here's what I need hauled. You can, because that's what they're going to do. That's what the carrier is going to do. That's what your broker should be able to do is to look at the dimensions and then ascertain the best fit for the equipment as well. So I think that should be really helpful for our brokers out there. Excellent. Well, Justin, great to have you on. We appreciate it. Uh, happy New Year to all the listeners. Thank you, guys. And uh, Justin, any any final thoughts? Do you have a like a? I don't know if this is your first podcast recording. Do you have like a sign off you want to go with? <laughs> no, not really. I just I really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, enjoy the opportunity. Um, glad Thank you. We appreciate it. There's, uh, if there's anything I can be of uh, resource in the future, please let me know. But um, happy New Year to everybody, um, and uh, hope there's uh, there's a lot of success in 2021, and, and it's a much easier year. So uh, <laughs> that's for sure. That's Matt, all I got. Yeah, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Until next time, go Bells. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. 
Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.